Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth of PaleoParents.com. You might also know me as the broth lady or the inventor of the hashtag more vegetables than a vegetarian. I'm the co-author of several paleo cookbooks, including Eat Like a Dinosaur, Beyond Bacon, Real Life Paleo. I like to talk about health at any size and self-love and personal acceptance. Specifically, I have a love for lifting heavy things. If you're interested in finding more out about that, you can also find me on Strong Woman Radio. And I'm Dr. Sarah Valentine of thepaleomom.com. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Approach and The Paleo Approach Cookbook. I'm passionate about nutrient density and the intersection of diet and lifestyle with health. Which really means I just love talking about science. News and views, where Sarah and I catch up and you get to listen to our gossip. Sarah. Stay say. I have to tell you, a whole lot of people told me to say hi from the NTA conference in Portland over the weekend. So hi from a whole lot of people. Hi, whole lot of people. Also, Sarah and I are not actually Siamese twins. Nope. I think it is quite adorable that Whenever I go anywhere, people's like people are like, "Tell Sarah I said I," and vice versa for you. I'm like, you know, we are like two separate people, right? Like that's the thing. It was really fun because there was so. I mean, I think one of the things that I love about um, this particular the podcast audience is that they know us really well, and you would not believe the number of people who had like weird podcast inside jokes for me. Um, so like, uh, one very adorable girl, she knows who she is, um, was like, hi mom. I was like, oh, that's a joke I made on the podcast, like a month and a half ago. You listen. She was like, yeah, I think it's great that people call you mom and they forget what your name is. And we're just going to roll with that. I'm like, awesome. I totally forgot that joke. She's paying attention more right? than I, I am. I mean, that was from a while ago. And so, I mean, either that or she's kind of like not caught up on podcasts and it was more recent for her. No, but no, I just got that it was like an inside joke. And then like a lot of people ask me how I'm feeling. And it was just like, it was just really nice to sort of feel, um, I don't know, that level of connection and, and love and care. And, um, I really, you know, I really enjoyed, I mean, I just really enjoyed the conference. I went to the, that's uh, the nutritional therapy association annual conference. And I went last year to be a keynote and had such a fantastic experience that I jumped at the chance to go again this year. And um, the conference was so much bigger. They had three times as many speakers, which means I just got to hang out with like three times as many people. Um, I got to um, meet some online like colleague, blogger, author, friends in person for the first time, which was wonderful. And um see a lot of people that I saw last year, including the couple that I basically bullied into getting engaged last year, and they did get engaged and got married in December. And so Congratulations, I'm like, bullied Sarah, couple. Sarah, the matchmaker, I have like one success story. So you guys, you know, want to share. I mean, it really was like we were chatting last year, and they shared their story about how they got together. And it was just like one of those things I was like, when are you getting married? And they kind of looked at each other like, well, I'm like, 
but clearly that's a thing that's got to happen now. And they were like, okay, it was, and it was adorable. And they were both, um, you know, they're now working for the NTA and we're helping to run the conference. And it was just really neat to see, you know, a year go by and see these people, you know, I mean, do all do such amazing things with their lives and watching, you know, to me, what's fantastic is the nutritional therapy practitioners are the boots on the ground. I mean, these are the people who are running support groups, who are working one-on-one with people, who are finding innovative, creative ways to help people take control of their health. And these are the people who, you know, for me, are the most important to talk to because each one of them is then impacting hundreds of lives. And so it was just really wonderful to to be in this environment where I felt, you know, just surrounded by my peeps, just to talk like a young person. I'm going to do that right now. And um, there were some fantastic vendors were there. Uh, Vital Proteins was there. Pure Indian Foods was there. Epic Bar was there. There was a new um, new broth company called Alaska. It was the Alaska Broth Company, I think is what it was called. And they had salmon broth and halibut broth. My new favorite things. I was gonna say that's totally your jam, right? They were they were so good. Like I don't I like fish broth. I don't like making it because it makes the house sink a lot for weeks. Um, Heart to Heart Farm was there, um, and we had meat from their alpaca that was thirty percent organ meat made into a meatloaf for the banquet dinner on Saturday night, and it was so good. So um, it was it was a I mean, it was a phenomenal experience. I um, I hope I get invited next year. I mean, I think my talk went really, really well. It was one of the best talks I've ever given. So. Um, so I, I, I think that gives me a good chance of getting an invitation back, I hope. Well, while you were meeting the peeps. I was at home making the peeps. You were making, oh, it's Easter. You're making peeps. You see what I just did right there? That was like the best segue, and I'm so excited. I totally did. I made, we made homemade peeps with honey and vital proteins, and then we dusted them with freeze-dried fruit that we like put in the food processor to make granulated because Matthew is a genius. Um, I hear, like, I second that. Right? Uh, Okay, wait. We, and, I just found it on your Instagram. And we also, last week, made gummy worms out of Vital Proteins using a straw. I feel like I feel like we're at the top of our game right now. Like, Wait, you like set the jello in a straw to make it into a worm shape? Right? You're a genius! See what's happening right here? I'm like, the creative juices are coming out. It took us a while to recover from the whole lot of books thing <laughs> but now we're just kind of having fun and the kids are um joining us in the kitchen like voluntarily without us being like hey guys you know they're like what are you doing we want to help um so yeah we are we're like living life we're having some transition on our blog and i just want to say because monica is producing the show and our listeners pretty much know Monica at this point because we talk about her all the time. And whether she's... they and whether they th- they know they know her or 
don't know her, I mean, if they're checking out the show notes, they know her. Right. So um, she does a lot for us as well as the podcast. And she is expecting her third kid. And um, Monica. she is looking for some work-life balance. So while we finally kind of got in a groove with the blog, we are sad to say that part of the stuff that Monica's going to be doing for us is going to be coming to a halt. And I just want to state for the public record that I have could not have imagined any better person to work with on the blog for the last three years. She's been, um, we actually call her our sister wife because she's so integrated to the family and everything that we have going on. And she's been a real true partner for us. And for all of you listeners, um, you know, she does so much for the blog. She answers all of our questions that come in via email. She responds to social media requests. Um, and we're hoping that she's going to continue to produce the podcast because we just can't possibly say goodbye entirely. Um, but in the meantime, while we work out the details, I just want to say that we love you, Monica, and that we wish you the best, but we're going to miss you and I'm still going to text you all the time because <laughs> you're going to have to still be my friend. So, um, Truth. but yeah, so that's, what's going on with us is just, you know, life and stuff. Life. Life is uh, a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. Um, I, I got home from the conference in order to dive headfirst into writing the next book because I owe my publisher two chapters by the end of this month. And because uh, we're going to we've, we've learned a lot of lessons about the which you're going to reasonably books. pace yourself for, hmm, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, what's I have? Uh, oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I think I have something like 80 pages written. So it's you know, it is something that's coming together, but it's all like disjointed. So I'm trying to like pull together the cohesive narrative in a couple of sections that are closer to being done. Um, because one of the things that we learned about the mammoth epic tomes that I like to write is that it is too overwhelming of a job. And it's, it doesn't like the normal machinery for writing a book doesn't work for my books. So we are going to try editing and designing this one as I write. So as I finish chapters, I turn them in, they'll be edited, and then they'll go to the design team. So we'll be, you know, by the summer, you know, the book might be a third or a half designed already, um, even though at this point we wouldn't be going to print until Christmas time-ish. So um, if everything stays on schedule, knock, knock on wood. Um, so I, I, yesterday I took just a transition day and just kind of got caught up on things and hung out with my kids and did the CrossFit Open 16.4, which pretty much used up any ounce of energy I thought I had for the entire day because it was brutal. Um, but uh, but then today I was like, you know, taking a good chunks of time to dive into the book. And um, it was one of those days where I added more to my outline than finished sections I finished. So I was like, wow, it was like negative work I did today. I added like eight sections to my outline and I finished two sections. Not, it's not good math. Uh, so, but it was, you know, good, good. It's all good. Um, but I'm, I'm getting revved up about the topic, which is really nice because it makes writing feel very, like 
joyful is not quite the right word, but um, it's enjoyable. That's a better, a better way to phrase it. Um, so then it doesn't feel quite as much like work. Like I'm, I'm in that point of writing where I'm like, yeah, I just wrote about poop. It's great. It's awesome. And awkward. Well, for you, maybe I can talk about poop with anyone. It comes up on Periscope all this time. Let me just also, I'm going to totally segue again to peeps. Someone sent me a link today of someone who had made poop emoji peeps with like (gasps) brown. (laughs) And I showed the boys a picture and they were so jealous that we did not make. You could make like chocolate marshmallows and you wouldn't even have to do anything. Exactly. It looked just like the the, the poop, poop emoji. emoji it was cracking me up well th- that's the next project right except you know one one big one big making fest is is enough right. of a special treat i don't need to do that again well and i love my kids and but they they don't do great on sugar so we've become a very low sugar household and i'm like almost <laughs> dreading East, like even though Easter will be so much toned down compared to other homes, I'm like there's still going to be chocolate, and I'm still going to have those kids. Um, so I mean we do a lot of a lot of toys and things that Easter Bunny often brings, and we'll try to figure out what we'll do this year now that my nine year old's sort of starting to grow beyond toys. But normally the Easter Bunny brings um, plastic eggs filled with Lego pieces, and it all comes together to be one Lego kit. And so the fun thing about that is, you know, if you haven't found all the eggs, if you can't build the Lego kit. Genius. Great. So uh, that's one of my, it's one of my personal faves. That's a good one. We do coins. We just collect coins. And uh, then the kids, we color code them and we say like where the big money is because we'll put dollar bills in some and we'll be like, okay, everybody only gets two green ones or whatever, but then... Then they just have fun counting up how much money they found. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um. So speaking of things Treats that both of our and... families kind of limit and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, do we want to jump into our show topic? Yeah. So this is one of those interesting things that I don't think I ever would have thought to put a show together on this topic, other than the fact that we've had two questions relatively recently that were like, oh, they're questions about bread. Um, and so then I realized that we've never really, we've, we've tackled things like, you know, paleo baking and paleo treats and ingredients that are not paleo that are sneaking their way into recipes labeled as paleo or, uh, products that are marketed to the paleo community. But I felt like this is actually kind of a different side of that same discussion that we've never tackled um, bizarrely in 187 previous shows. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, bread, paleo bread, if paleo friendly bread exists. Um, but I have a little science to share first. Of course you do. Let's get to it. Next segment is Science with Sarah, where I take a moment to explain the details and the whys. So one of the questions that I get asked a lot is if soaking and sprouting and fermenting makes a difference. And sometimes I'm asked this question in the context of us soaking and sprouting and fermenting uh, or soaking and sprouting nuts. 
to make them more digestible and to reduce the anti-nutrient um, content. And sometimes I'm asked this question more from a traditional foods diet, a Weston A. Price Foundation type approach where the, the these traditional preparations of grains um, really change the the end product of, you know, like a traditionally prepared, you know, five-day fermented sourdough bread, for example. And, um, and I get asked sort of whether or not that can play a role in the paleo diet um, and what I think about that food. So I think it's sort of important to kind of differentiate between what soaking and sprouting is versus what fermentation is and what types of anti-nutrients in uh, grains are actually altered by those two preparations. And I, I really want to emphasize when I talk about this is it's very, very likely that the same changes are happening in nuts. However, all of the scientific studies that have looked at um, how traditional preparation of grains impacts the nutrient content or the anti-nutrient content, um, they've never been done in nuts and seeds. You can expect because these are all, you know, grains and nuts and seeds are the seeds of plants, just different kinds of plants, um, because the, you know, sort of anatomy of a seed and the way a seed sprouts is, is pretty ubiquitous across all plant forms. You would expect this to be the same in nuts, but it's actually never been studied. You know, what we basically see is anecdotally, a lot of people report they have trouble digesting regular nuts and seeds, but if they soak them and sprout them and then maybe roast them, um, then they're fine with them. So that's just sort of an aside to keep in mind. But let's talk about the specifics on grains, because that's where um, some science has actually been done that we can actually make some scientifically validated statements. So soaking and sprouting, I, I sort of consider the same thing. Um, it's basically how long you go for. So um, soaking basically means you take the grain and you put them in water um, for you know maybe something like 12 to 24 hours. But if you let them sit and stay wet, so you rinse them out and you let them, you know, you put them on a, a wet, damp paper towel and you let them sprout and start to grow, that's becoming a sprouted grain. But the things that are happening in a sprouted grain are starting as soon as you soak the grain. So it's starting to basically grow. So that seed is starting to access the nutrients that are stored in it for rapid growth. And it's breaking down a lot of its defenses because it's breaking down that hard outer shell so that it can have, you know, a sprout, a leaf come out of it. So when we look at the types of anti-nutrients or, or problematic compounds in grains, um, different ones are affected differently. And there's always some uh, variability between different types of grains. So it's always important to keep in mind that not every grain is quite the same. So basically, um, the things that we worry about, phytic acid, very, very high in grains, it's not very much affected by soaking and sprouting. And that's really important to keep in mind when we're soaking and sprouting nuts and seeds. It's, people don't often ferment nuts and seeds. Um, it's often done as a rationale to uh, reduce phytates. But what we know from grains is that uh, phytates are not deactivated with um, sprouting. Um, other digestive enzyme in inhibitors, things like uh, trypsin that we worry about in grains, um, are definitely um, deactivated with soaking and sprouting. Um, and that is good for us because it means that these things that are inherent in grains that hinder our body's ability to digest them aren't there. 
And we do know that digestion is improved and cooking and breaking down a lot of the proteins can improve digestion even further after something is soaked and sprouted. Um, lectins, so things like gluten, things like agglutinins, like wheat germaglutinin, are affected to different levels. So it's very, very mixed results. So for example, um, gluten is partially decreased, but not completely decreased by sprouting. Wheat germaglutinin is pretty much unaffected. It's retained in the sprout. Um, and so there might be some some deactivation of some lectins, um, especially if it's then followed up with prolonged cooking. Um, but it varies, right? Wheat germaglutinin is profoundly uh, resilient, resistant to um, sprouting, resistant to fermentation, resistant to cooking, resistant to stomach acid, resistant to high alcohol environments. You know, wheat germaglutinin is then bioactive in incredibly small quantities and is extremely inflammatory um, and is even present in, you know, wheatgrass, even a seven day or 14 day wheatgrass. So, um, you know, we always get very focused on gluten in this community. And I think we sometimes forget that wheat germaglutinin is actually more toxic than gluten is. Um, so that's what soaking and sprouting does. Fermentation is different. So fermentation, we're using um, yeast and bacteria to basically partially digest. So instead of, so with soaking and sprouting, you're getting the seed to start growing. With fermentation, you're digesting the product using bacteria and, and yeast. And it's sort of the same process as making sauerkraut. Um, and it's quite a different process than um, soaking and sprouting. And you can see as I go through what happens to um, the anti-nutrients, you can see where combining these two makes an even bigger difference. So phytate is dramatically reduced by fermentation. Um, so depending on, um, you know, it, it can take days. So depending on the grain, it can take two days, it can take three days, it can take five days, um, but it is degraded by, by fermentation. Um, when it comes to enzyme inhibitors, they are um, very effectively deactivated, uh, typically by a one to three day fermentation. Um, so that's great news in terms of our ability to digest grains. Um, lectins, again, they are now they are starting to be degraded. Depends on the lectin again, right? Wheat germaglutinin is pretty resilient. Um, but there's actually some, and it, it very much now depends on not just the lectin and not just the actual grain we're talking about, but the bacteria um, that are being used. But there are, for example, some sourdough cultures that are very good at breaking down gluten. And there are even um, places in the world where um, a, you know, very long fermented sourdough bread um, can be tested for gluten and reach that below 20 parts per billion that would be classified as gluten-free and are being marketed as gluten-free breads. And so it's because of that that very, very long fermentation. So um, the other thing to keep in mind is that all of these processes do make the nutrients that are in 
brains more accessible to us. So it starts to break down. When it breaks down anti-nutrients, it makes the nutrients that are bound up with anti-nutrients more available. Um, that still does not make grains a nutrient-dense food, but it does change um, it does change the food and it does make it more digestible for people who don't have overt food sensitivity. Um, you know, it's a very, like, this is all individual choice where you fall on this, uh, ancestral template spectrum. Do you, do you consider yourself paleo, primal, Weston A. Price, traditional foods, autoimmune protocol? I mean, I always think of it as putting foods on a sliding scale, um, looking at what's, good in food that's going to promote our health, so vital nutrients, and what is bad in food that may undermine our health, the inflammatory compounds, um, uh, things that might irritate the gut or, or cause gut dysbiosis, things that might negatively impact hormones. And you look at the sliding scale, most foods fall in this gray area in between. And what I always think is, you know, it's up to the individual to figure out where that cutoff line is. Some people tolerate much more suboptimal foods in their diet um, than, than others. And part of that's a genetic predisposition and part of that stress and part of that sleep and part of that's the overall nutrient density of the diet and part of that's health history, part of that's gut microbiome. Um, so, you know, playing around with soaked and fermented grains certainly wouldn't qualify as paleo. Um, but it's, uh, something that, you know, where the lines between say paleo and Weston A. Price Foundation are. Well, and I think it's also helpful for people um, who might want to enjoy something, kind of as you mentioned, but don't necessarily have the same um, restrictions or severe reactions that you or I or others might have to gluten. Um, Like I can think of several people in the community who I know um, consume sourdough bread when they feel like they want to have a piece of bread, that they would rather just have a piece of sourdough than to have to kind of make a whole paleo bread. And, um, you know, for some some of the things that you're talking about, phytic acid, for example, um, aren't really addressed with um, changing grains to nuts. And they're also really high in omega-3 fatty acids and that kind of stuff, right? So it's like, it depends on what your needs are and all of those considerations go into the choices that you make. And that's not to say that um, I expect anyone to be a perfectionist 100% of the time. Certainly I'm not, but I do think it's important for the context of where you are in your journey and what you want your goals to be, you know, on the choices that you make and how to get there. And I think understanding the difference between the types of um, options that you have are really important for you to make those choices for yourself. Here, here. Cool. Want to answer these questions? Yes. Questions and answers, where we answer questions submitted by you through the contact form on our websites, paleomom.com and paleoparents.com. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. So Andrea's question, I've already sort of half answered in the Science with Sarah segment, but I still want to read it because I think there's a little bit more discussion to have here. So Andrea writes, I am just starting the autoimmune protocol. I know grains are on the bad list for paleo and AIP, but what are your thoughts on fermented sourdough bread? 
been reading about fermented foods in general and how good it is to add into our diet, but have recently read about how the fermentation of grains breaks down what our bodies have a hard time digesting in regular bread. What are your thoughts on this? So specifically, she starts out by saying she's starting autoimmune protocol and then gets into what are your thoughts on this? So I would start off by saying that if you are engaging in autoimmune protocol, I'm going to assume that you have some health issues that you're trying to resolve, in which case I would recommend general avoidance of breads. I just Mm -hmm. think that focusing on nutrient density and eating the most bang for your buck with food is so important. And I know that's what helped me you know, get through the biggest hurdle with my um, autoimmune condition flares is really focusing on nutrient density. So any kind of bread, even if you make an autoimmune friendly bread and those recipes are out there, for example, a cassava banana bread could be autoimmune friendly. That is not going to be the best health food for you. It's not to say that it can't be enjoyed sometimes, but if you're starting your autoimmune protocol my recommendation would absolutely be to focus on as much as you can eating those really nutrient dense foods to help your body with basically like, I think of it like a supplemental boost, right? Like, you know, doctors will tell people to go on fish oil if they've got joint pain and they tell them to take a whole bunch at the beginning and then kind of taper it off and take it regularly. And, you know, we've talked in the show before about whether or not we agree or why on that approach, but it's the same kind of thing that I think is really helpful with the autoimmune protocol is, you know, if you start out and and you're doing a lot of paleo type breads and not focusing on nutrient dense foods, you're not going to get nearly the same results as if you incorporate broth, seafood, organ meats, and vegetables kind of right off the bat and make sure that your plate is almost always filled with those foods. I feel like for me, at least, I saw a much better um, return on my investment, so to speak, with that autoimmune protocol doing that, which ultimately ended up meaning that I was needing to stick with the strict protocol less long and less often and less strictly, which is where I think we all want to get. Like, no, no, nobody wants to restrict all those foods forever. Nobody wants to give up chocolate, uh, coffee, and wine. Right. Yeah. So that said... Let's just kind of put the autoimmune protocol piece in the back of our minds. The question, as you said, you did kind of address in um, the science segment about um, fermented um, fermentation and specifically to sourdough. And I think I think it's interesting, you know, Sarah, you started out the show by saying we hadn't actually tackled this topic. But then as you were talking, I realized we had kind of tackled this topic because we did a whole show um, about lentils and soaking and fermenting lentils that had become um, uh, somewhat paleo-proved and part of the community. And we we addressed the fundamentals of why that could work for some people. And I think it's the same exact answer in this situation is, you know, there are some things about that food that when you soak, sprout, and ferment, that it becomes more tolerable. But the question that I still ask is, what do you gain by eating these foods? Like, I mean, that's the number one question when, you know, I'm in kind of a a health um, holistic group and there are a lot of people who are Weston A. Price or, um, you know, ancestral kind of background. And, you know, they jump immediately to, well, soaking, sprouting and fermenting breaks down that stuff. And my answer is like, well, 
why? Like, why yeah. do you need it? What are you gaining from it? It's other absolutely than... a quality of life food. It exactly. It's not a nourishing food. It is not providing our bodies with tons of great nutrients that we can't get abundantly, much more easily, um, without any problematic compounds elsewhere. Yeah. So there, there's also another aspect to this question that I really wanted to clarify for people, because I think that it's maybe something that... Um, not everybody realizes. So the reason why fermented foods are so uh, heartily endorsed on paleo and the autoimmune protocol and primal and West Night Price is in part because these are pre-digested foods. So if you think about sauerkraut, the there it has more nutrients than cabbage. So um, in its wonderful uh, fermentation, a lot of um, a lot of the, it's sort of partially broken down, but a lot of nutrients are formed in that process. It's sort of like half digested. But the other major reason why we want to eat those foods is because they contain probiotics. So they contain, right, cabbage has something like 680 different strains of um, probiotic microorganisms. So, you know, beneficial bacteria and, and yeast that can have a profound effect on our health um, by re-inoculating the gut with these beneficial strains. But if we cook that food, we kill the probiotics. So this would apply not just to a bread made with soaked and fermented grains, um, but it would also apply to something like a pasteurized sauerkraut or cooking with sauerkraut. You know, it's still a, we're talking about sauerkraut, we're still talking about a a nutrient-dense food and delightful flavor. And there's always, you know, there's certainly recipes that call for the addition of sauerkraut, but you're going to lose that really amazing benefit of probiotics. And so when we talk about fermented bread, you know, it's really important to remember that it's not a fermented food in the same way that a wild fermented vegetable is a fermented food because it's cooked and it kills all of the potentially beneficial organisms in it before you eat it. I just made a face. I just, I just made a face. I was like, Oh, no one can see my face. It was like one of those. So their faces. I mean, there are, you know, minimal amounts of probiotic leftovers. If something isn't like, Live, for example, I know that some people take probiotic pills that are in a cabinet versus in the fridge. It's just, it's not the same. So I think it's it's an, an important yeah. The thing only to highlight the only probiotics that um, normally would be kept at room temperature without degrading would be soil based organisms, um, which is a very very different group of species than um, you know the. Bifidobacteria, Merlactobacillus, Saccharomyces boulardii, that are typically found in, um, you know, store-bought probiotics. It's soil-based organisms take a little bit more searching out in terms of supplement or in terms of exposure these days. I mean, it used to be that um, we were constantly exposed because it's just in the dirt, and we lived in the dirt, and we ate, ate food directly out of the dirt, and we didn't wash things necessarily. We just kind of brushed them off, um, and we live these such sterile lives now. Um, that we have to really go out and seek soil-based organisms and seek our exposure to those. And we know that they're profoundly important for the overall gut microbiome environment. We know that they can, for example, um, encourage the growth of species like bifidobacterium that have tons of 
um, beneficial quantities. And so um, we seem to have a more stable variable microbiome when we have these species in our diets. Um, but, you know, the only way to really get them now is to find like a really good dirt nerd organic local farmer and eat their vegetables without washing them. Um, and so and that's something certainly that I do when my local farmer's market is open and then I don't really have access to that in the wintertime. Um, but uh, but then there's sort of supplement brands like Prescript Assist or um, uh, what is it called? Megaspore. Um, that are specifically targeting these strains. And these are the only probiotic supplements that should be kept at room temperature. Cool. You got, got that, was a, that, was like a, that was like a nerdy tangent. That was like bonus, bonus content. We should, we should put a big star on while this I, podcast. While I agree with you, um, it's nothing new. <laughs> True. All right, fine. Busted. All right, let's do this question from Chris. Chris says, so I'm new to paleo and I'm wondering about paleo bread. Is there such a thing? What alternatives are actually paleo? I keep seeing recipes for paleo baked goods and really want to try them, but how often are they okay to eat and are they really healthier? I'm assuming healthier than standard, the standard American versions. So absolutely, you know, a food made with more nutrient-dense ingredients and less refined and processed foods is going to be less unhealthy than the next thing. But I do think it's deceptive to say that any sort of treat would be healthy. Um, I know that Sarah and I both over the last couple of years have refined our recipe writing to include less sweeteners and to use different types of sweeteners as our understanding of how it affects the body has changed. and that's because we, well, at least I'll speak for myself. I, I don't want to encourage people to do something that's going to derail their health. And I, I do believe that absolutely from a lifestyle factor that something like a paleo bread or even, you know, we just had paleo bagels on Sunday. Um, and I used the quotation marks when I said paleo bagels. <laughs> oh, you couldn't see that. But um <laughs> You know, we totally heard it. Right. We just, I mean, we call those things grain free or gluten free around the house. Like I just don't call them paleo foods. And I I know that a lot of people do, but I think it helps level set with the kids for me in particular, like that a paleo bagel is not a food that we're going to have every day. That's not helping us gain a lot of nutrients. That's not helping us live our healthiest life, but absolutely from, you know, this is a lifestyle and I have three young kids perspective. It's super exciting to occasionally, you know, eat foods like that, or we still also go out and, you know, we'll eat gluten-free foods. This week is Finn's birthday and he requested a gluten-free cake and gluten-free pizza and it's his birthday and that's what he's going to get. And it's not going to be the end of the world uh, because those foods where he is in his um, process and journey don't bother him. Now, when we started, when he had, you know, severe skin issues and, that kind of stuff, like he he wouldn't have been able to eat pizza because it would have caused a huge eczema like flare that would have caused him to need steroids. Like that's how bad his skin condition was. But because we've worked on healing and eating nutrient dense foods and you know focusing on these things for almost six years now, his body is able to handle small occasional doses of these foods without negative impact. And I think for me, that's what 
that's exactly what I wanted to get to is to be able to, you know, figure out the foods that occasionally work for us as, as we call them treats or, you know, however you want to refer to them, um, and, and eat them. But certainly, you know, I don't think of those foods as paleo because I just, I feel like that has a connotation of health to my kids and it's not the same as, you know, yesterday, Wesley decided, well, actually a couple of days ago, Wesley decided that the only thing that he like wants to accomplish in life right now is getting tall enough to ride the Harry Potter rides at Universal. (laughs) And it's like literally the topic of conversation every day at the dinner table is what are healthy foods and what will help me get taller or not taller. Like he's running through the list of his favorite foods, like fish and carrots are his favorite healthy foods. And so he's like, Fish and carrots are healthy, right? I can eat a lot of them. Like, absolutely, those are fantastic foods. But gluten-free carrot cake is not going to help me get taller for the rides. Like, nope, buddy, that's not going to work for you. So yesterday, he wanted dessert, and he said that he wanted me to make him a salad dessert with strawberries on it. Like, he wanted, he got baby spinach and strawberries, and we put a white balsamic on top of it. And that kid ate a huge bowl of salad with strawberries for dessert. Because in his mind, he is associating that kind of food with health. Well, it worked for Finn. Right, it did, which is part Mm -hmm. of why he's um, going down this path, because we've obviously talked to him about how it worked for Finn last year. So um, he's a little bit younger than Finn, though. So it's (laughs) uh, we'll see how it goes. But anyway, I mean, I just, I, I feel like that concept of how I explain it to the kids and how we use, utilize it as a family can be translated really well to us as adults too. Like, you know, it's not about deprivation. It's not about telling yourself you can't have something. Like, you can choose to do these things. You just need to decide if that's in line with the goals that you have for yourself and if that is truly a decision that you want to make. And, you know, I use, I've used the words self-respect and self-love before because for me, you know, making those kinds of choices is about respecting myself and loving myself enough to be able to make the choices that are the best for what I want to be, which is, you know, healthy. So yeah, absolutely. Every month, like I have about a week period of time where I just want to eat Ben and Jerry's every single month for about a week. And it is like totally an exercise in what are alternative options to the food that my body is telling me to eat. We all go through that, you know, like, and my desire to eat gluten is no longer there. Like it just, I mean, a couple of years ago, I completely lost any desire to eat gluten. You get glutened enough when you have a reaction and it's like, you just I think it's, it's kind not of like tempting anymore when you know it's going to make you violently ill. Yeah, I think I think someone related it to me once as, you know, I don't know how many people are ex-smokers, but <gasps> I was an ex-smoker. Um, it's been over a decade, but before I had kids, I did smoke. And so when you quit smoking, your body goes through this thing where like when you smell or see cigarettes, you're like revolted because you you have to tell yourself that it's revolting in order to not desire it anymore. It's like it was like a mental trigger for me. It's the same kind of thing with gluten for me now. Like I'm kind of like, ugh, I would not I don't even want that. Like, please don't put it near me um, because I know that it's just going to make me sick. And so I think, you know, we all have to find our, our balance. And I hope that all of this rambling and soapboxing is just a message to tell you like, you know, there's absolutely a place for, 
you know, paleo bread or paleo bagels or paleo treats or whatever it is that you want, if that's the place in you are where you are in your journey, there's also recipe books like the Healing Kitchen has, you know, a recipe for a cake. If you're AIP, like you can still have that. If it's your birthday and that's what you want to do, like you can do it. It's just a matter of making sure that you're evaluating your goals and, you know, making sure that you're making the choices that will get you to where you want to go rather than making, you know, a loaf of cassava flour banana bread every couple of days and going through that is not going to be I think it's a very different thing if you're looking at it as a treat versus looking at it as this is how I can have toast for breakfast. Like it's, it's, um, I'm not anti-treat. I'm not anti-food, you know, celebrating with food, socializing with food, bonding with food. You know, I think that's built into human nature. Um, I think where the line is, is where we're uh, relying on paleo versions of old favorites to make us feel like we used to, compared to really looking at the principles of the paleo diet and understanding what healthful foods look like and really taking that challenge to revamp our relationship with food, how we consider food, you know, what, what we think of as healthy food, what we think of as a, as a complete meal or a healthy dinner. I think that, you know, it's very different to think of something as, you know, like I will probably make some kind of homemade bread for for Easter breakfast. I'll probably make, um, hot cross buns. I have a recipe on my site. And, um, you know, that to me is like this wonderful thing that brings back all of these wonderful flavors of, of childhood. Um, and it's, you know, it's a really special thing for, for me and for my kids and for my, for my husband and we really enjoy it, but then I won't make those again until next Easter. Um, you know, I, I, it was a very important transitional food for us in my home, um, with my husband and with my kids who were all not super fans of mommy's crazy idea to make us all go paleo until after they saw how good they felt after we did it. And then, I don't think anyone ever thanked me or told me that I was right, but we'll still roll with it. But, um, you know, it, there was, there was a time and a place where those were foods that we relied on, but I started phasing them out as soon as I felt like I could get away with it. And as soon as I felt like we'd had a good enough repertoire of new foods, you know, basic (laughs) vegetables and meat that that bread would no longer be a necessity on the plate. And um, I think that part of um, part of making a statement about whether or not a paleo bread is paleo, it actually has a lot more to do with the mindset around that bread and has a lot more to do with um, an individual's health, how an individual is um, using that bread in terms of, you know, implementation. Um, and, uh, and what that person's individual goals are. Um, so I think that, you know, that's still vastly superior to any standard American diet option. Um, but to me, it's, uh, they're fun little additions to our diet that's based on your meat, seafood, vegetables, and fruit. So I'll give an example. Um, real life like you gave of the hot cross buns we made these paleo peeps for the blog and 
We licked our fingers as we were making them, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Because it's sticky, and there's right. no other good way to clean your fingers. We had, the kids had one while we were making them, and they had one for dinner after that evening. Dessert after dinner, right. I'm assuming you mean. So they had two entirety of peeps, which were like oh. the size of your finger, and the rest were given to friends. Like yeah. that's because if we keep this stuff in the house, they're going to want to eat it. They're going to, it's going to, it's like, oh my God, it's here. Oh my God, it's here. Oh my God, I want to eat it. I don't want to eat it. Right. And so it's just, we just don't keep it in the house or we don't make it. And, you know, we try everything we can to, if the kids want something like that, to make recipes that are made with fruit or, you know, things that are less high in sugar, even though those peeps, basically the equivalent of one or two peeps would have had like a teaspoon of honey or something like that. Right. So it's like, I think it's just figuring out what works for you and then trying to implement strategies and it's not going to happen overnight. It takes time to get used to these things. I mean, that's why we wrote real life paleo and our ebook three phase paleo, because especially if you have a family, like it's just not going to be something that you wake up one day and everybody's like, okay, we're on board. Right. Like, it's just, it doesn't work that way in real life. And I mean, I, it did for one family somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. Yeah. One family did that. Yep. There, there's always, there's always at least one. Someone somewhere. Um, but for sure there's, I mean, endless amount of people that we both have heard from that try to go gusto, that try to do it all at once. I I remember in particular that there was a woman that emailed us. I don't remember if it ended up being a comment in the podcast or not that said like the night before they had had McDonald's and she woke up that morning and said that was it. They were done and then made liver meatballs for dinner that night with spaghetti (laughs) squash pasta and how her entire family completely rejected paleo and said, this is disgusting and we're, we're not going to do it. Right. Like you, you just need a little transition sometimes. Like it can't, you just, so don't expect that wherever you are in your journey, you're going to immediately get to where Sarah and I are because we've been doing this for years. But at the same time, you know, we hope to kind of impart that, that thought process of, you know, making those baby steps and those choices every single day will get you ultimately to where you want to go, whether it's three months or three years. Totes. Do you see how I spoke like a young person right there? I think that it's adorable how when you <laughs> use things, you think that they're cool. But no, they're actually totally, really dated because people like you are using them now. And me, totally and me, by the way, I'm not exempt. And it's like when my parents said rad when I was a kid. I totally recognize that. And um, I know there'll be some new thing and I won't understand my kids anymore. <laughs> but, but I feel um, like with running social media accounts, like, I mean, I know about things. At gee, least. I can't tell so you. That. It's really embarrassing how often I have to be like urbandictionary.com. Exactly. But now at least you're like aware and you can urban dictionary it so that when your kids say it, you can act like you're and you knew already you know yeah yeah kids <laughs> hey uh as we as we uh exit the show can we exit on a proud proud mama moment for me for shizzle my nine-year-old won a blue ribbon at the county-wide science fair on saturday i can't think of anything else that you would be more proud of um so the funny part of the story was like it was her first year doing the science fair, it was a new science teacher. It was his first year doing the science fair. There's a lot of like figuring things out as we went along. 
and her project was really cool. Her, her topic was uh, how well umbrellas work as parachutes. And uh, the answer is not that well. And uh, but she you know, figured out how to measure the G force of the landing from her second floor window of a weight either with an umbrella attached to it or not. Like it was, it was, it was some that's, dork goodness. That's hardcore. Yeah, no, there was, there was, there was some, uh, there was some dorkdom and some um, using of her, her father's physics brain in order to figure things out. Um, but uh, she didn't win the overall prize and like was disappointed. And I was like, kid, okay. I realize apples and trees and stuff, but you know, if you'd won the overall prize, you'd have nothing to work for next year. I was like, Oh, I guess so, Mom. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, but yeah, no, we're like super proud. The school's super proud. It's like, it's it's all kinds of warmies. Well, I just I have like auntie pride too. I'm I'm making the space over here, and I realize you can't see it, and it's just coming across as awkward silence. I'm like, oh, um, science nerd kids are the best. I'm. I have to say, I. I totally think it's super cool that Cole is a math geek. Like when he's bored and we're like sitting at a restaurant or something, he'll pull out a notepad and a pencil that he keeps in his pocket and like just come up with math equations and solve them himself. Like, see, that's that's the most amazing thing. I'm like, you know how you feel right now. That's how I feel every time we're at dinner and he pulls out that pad of paper. <laughs> you have to get him into like a math club. Yeah, I think that they probably have something like that at like the middle school level, and maybe they do it. The I just something I'm a, like Science Olympiad, but for math. I'm yeah. sure they have. They must have something. I'm sure. I'm just. I'm one of those parents that's really into kids not doing too much, and so yeah. we just I constantly don't... struggle to find that balance between yeah. wanting them to have lots of unstructured time to just play and be kids, but also wanting to expose them to lots of really cool <laughs> extracurricular activities. I'm like. Well, I see how kids get overscheduled really easily. Like, <laughs> it's a really tough, tough balance to try and strike. Um, you know, my kids, when they get tired, um, then the balance is really forced upon me. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, it's one of those, oh, I want you to do 7,000 things. But I also want you to get 12 hours sleep every night. <laughs> awesome. I, I try. Well, thank you so much for, um, I think, I mean... And I think that was a fun tangent on some previous shows. Um, and uh, everyone, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. See you later, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Am I, I'm supposed to start the show. Well, you know. normally do, but the, yeah, it's okay. I'm I could start if you want. I mean, it's, it's I mean, totally fine. Why don't you say something and then I'll respond? I'm raising the roof right now. <laughs> Good Lord. That's like the fourth embarrassing slang term you've used today. I guess I'm all about pretending I'm not about to turn 40. I thought you were going to try to incorporate, like, all about that base somehow, just to make it, like, <laughs> just to close it out with five just, even cultural references. All about that base. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't. No. It's a sad story. Because the thing is here is I was never cool. So it's not like, 
It's not like, it's not like had... something else you can get back into. It's, it's like not, trying sorry, to attain. It's not like it's not like I, you know, I was cool and now I'm realizing I'm a little out of date and I got to try and, you know, figure out how to be cool again. It's like I was never cool. I never figured out how to be cool. It's never been a skill that I've had. And so now I'm like if I say things that sound and I'm using air quotes when I say the word cool, it just ends up sounding like, no, you're not cool and you've never been cool and you never will be cool. So just sh- stop. Stop trying. Just just say your big words because that sounds more natural coming out of your mouth. I realize this, but sometimes I still have days where I want to, I don't know. It makes me feel not old, as old, maybe. No, actually it emphasizes how old I am. I don't know what it is. Today was one of those days. I just said stupid words. Alrighty then. <laughs> Matt, that was for you right there. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.